Exodus chapter 32 and verse 15 is our text. And Moses turned and went down from the mount and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. Well, let's have a word of prayer. Father, I pray as we go on now, Lord, into this uh, series of messages that we've been doing is Satan's strategy against believers. It was in the Old Testament. We'll see later that it's in the New Testament. And it just seems like the same strategy has worked down through the ages on the people of God. Lord, I pray that your people in this house, part of this body, that by the Holy Spirit giving enlightenment and understanding, will be prepared for that onslaught of the devil that be, may bring the temptation to take other directions and that we'll keep our directions, our minds, our eyes stayed upon Jehovah. Help us, Lord, in that. In Jesus Christ's name we pray it. Amen. Now, it's just kind of a quick review here. Um, we see that Moses has been up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. He's, he's up there. He's... Um, Talking with God, the Lord has uh, given him the ten, ten Commandments on those tables of stone. And so, uh, he's up there on the mountain, but the rest of the people down at the bottom of the mountain, those that are there uh, in the wilderness, they come to Aaron and say, you know, he's been up there for such a long time, he's probably dead. I mean, it's been a long time, Doesn't, didn't take any food or water with him, so he's dead. You know, and, and so they're saying, now, we need you to uh, make us some gods here, make a god for us that we can worship. And so uh, Aaron goes on from that point. He says, okay, uh, take off your earrings and uh, your gold that you have, bring it to me, and, and we'll make a, uh, a god for you. We'll, we'll make that for you so that you can worship that we'll even make an altar unto Yahweh. I mean, that's Almighty God, Yahweh. And so he said, we'll make an altar to worship him. And so he forms, he takes the graving tools and forms a golden calf. Now, the thing is, is that in that day, uh, in Egypt, they worshiped the golden calf. They worshiped the golden calf. And so he was... Uh, putting something that seemed to stand out to everybody uh, in Egypt. So that's the way they were going to go, and they were going to follow that. And, and so they do the things that the people in Egypt did. But with that altar, they were saying, by this, God, Jehovah, Yahweh, He led us out of Egypt. He's the one that led us through the wilderness. He's the one that divided the sea, the Red Sea, so that we could walk through on dry ground. He is the one that did all of this. And so they're, they're looking at all that and just saying, look what all that He has done. No, that golden calf didn't do anything, didn't even exist until they formed it of those things. But they're saying Jehovah did it through Him. Yahweh did it through the golden calf. And then they start the same kind of a worship that they saw in Egypt. And you know, so often, that is what happens today. What was Israel wanting to do? They were wanting to be relevant 
to the world. They wanted to do it like the world does it. So they decided their worship would be that way. And see, that's what's happening in churches today. They see what the world does, and so they try to uh, do what the world used to do or, or does do. I mean, the world, they have their rock concerts, they bring them into the church, and now the church is doing it. The world dresses immodestly, now the church comes dressing immodestly. The world dresses in disrespect of the places they should be and the places they go. They can go to, they can go to a wedding and be dis, just dressed in disrespect. They can go to a funeral and be dressed in disrespect. They can go to a graduation. On down the line of things that people don't dress up like they used to, and, and now they're treating God the same way without respect for His house, for His person. And you know, it brings me back to what happened in Galatians chapter 5, 13. A lot of people have used this one verse in the wrong way. And Galatians 5, 13 says, Brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Now, do you know many people have used that verse, that, that word liberty? Okay. We, we don't need to have those standards. I, I, I can take that social drink. I can do this. I can do that because we have liberty. Uh, obviously, they didn't read the rest of the verse. Now, you've always had liberty. I mean, you choose to sin or you choose not to sin. God gave that liberty. But now, your choices do have a consequence. Your choices have a consequence. And so, you need to learn how to choose the right thing. And so, he says, uh, ye have been called unto liberty, and this is the part that gets left off, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. You see, they have taken the Word of God and cut out. That's why you have new Bible versions, because there's so many there coming out the new versions. You know, isn't that interesting? I, I don't know how anybody got saved from the early church until up in the 1800s because they were saying they didn't have the right manuscripts and all that, so therefore they didn't have the right Bible. How did all those people get saved? How did Martin Luther get saved back then? How did others get saved throughout those ages? How did they get saved? They had the Word of God. And, and now they're trying to change that and, and, and get away from that so it will be compatible with the flesh. That will make them relevant to the world. You see, the devil is very good. Satan is very good at deceiving the people of God because the people of God have a tendency to look at what the world is doing instead of what Christ would have us to be doing. And so they want to turn liberty to say, okay, I can social drink. Yeah, it doesn't matter if I do this. It doesn't matter. Hey, look, I, uh, I go to church some. I'm not faithful, but hey, listen, I, I, I do go to church some. So, you know, we've got liberty to do that. You do. have got liberty to do that. Now, the Bible calls it sin, but it's still liberty. Now, you've got to decide whether you're going to go on God's side or you want to do what uh, some of these have done is twist the Scriptures and leave things out like what he just said here, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, to satisfy the flesh over the Spirit. That's what it's coming to be in this day. But to be quite honest with you, what we're reading now is what it was in that day. 
And what we're missing now is that in every place, place throughout the Word of God when they started doing that, and it happened often, God judged the nation. Now with Israel, we remember what Babylon did. They destroyed Israel, they destroyed the walls, and they took them off into captivity for 70 years. After the crucifixion, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, it wasn't long after that, in A.D. 70, they had turned against God again. So what happened? All the walls were brought down in Israel, and it was destroyed, and it wasn't a nation again until 1948. Now you think about that. God has to bring in people. And look, Babylon was a terrible nation. One of the uh, books of the, uh, uh, of the prophets tells us a story. The prophet goes to the Lord and says, Lord, Israel's so evil. They're very evil. What are we going to do about it? Lord, Lord, what are you going to do about it? And he tells the prophet, no, I'm going to bring Babylon. The Chaldeans. Oh, man, he's, <laughs> What? They're far worse than we are. I mean, we're good compared to them. They're very evil. I mean, they were noted as the worst of their day of all nations. And now he's questioning God, that's, why that? But then God lets him know he's also going to judge Babylon. But sometimes, you know, it's just like with the children, sometimes saying, I said don't do that, might work. But uh, I don't know about y'all, but when I was growing up, that belt worked a whole lot faster. And when you saw him starting to unbuckle that belt, you know, unbuckle the belt, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do that right now, okay? You know, and that's the way it would be. But see, that's, that's what I'm just saying is that that has happened down through the ages. And liberty is almost used in a way that's like take the name of Jesus in vain because it's going against the Word of God in the way they are using it. Adding Jesus' name to it, just that's what they're doing here. In, right here, in, in there, they had made an altar unto Jehovah, unto Yahweh is what the actual Hebrew is, but unto Yahweh, God, to say, this is how we are delivered from Egypt. You see, then they do all the things that we'll see that they did, but they added the Lord's name to it, and they thought that made it right. Adding Jesus' name doesn't make it right in a church when they have this rock and roll stuff. You see these people dancing up on side of the thing here when they're so immodest, when they're drinking, when they're doing all this thing. That is not making it right because they did it in Jesus' name. That is blasphemy. Now, they brought in these other people in Egypt, and it just corrupted it. And then, through the ages of the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see the seven churches of Revelation that does not exist today because of what they did. It's the same thing over and over and over again. And so what I'm trying to say to you is what's it going to take next? 
You know, we, we're Christians. We're fundamental Bible-believing Christians. The Word of God is the authority of all authority over us. It's how we are to base our personal lives, let alone our church. But let me say this as well, that as we do that, let's understand that this country keeps going this way and the churches keep going that way. And the churches say this is what we've got to do to win them. You know, I've seen, look, I've watched our own church where people have left and they've gone to those contemporary churches telling, telling people back here how much better it is and everything else. But now after about five or six years, those people aren't even in church anymore. Maybe they realize that's not a church. I'd, I'd welcome them back. They want to come back in, in repentance and faith. Yeah, I'd, I'd welcome them back. I'd be wrong not to. But they'd understand this is still Central Baptist Church and still according to the Word of God. You see, that's the way it has to be. And so you have these folks that want to come back or they don't want to come back. They, they want to be accepted by the world. God has brought judgment against all these others in the past with evil nations. Will it be the, will it be the Muslims? Will it be the communists? You know, people worried about China. Some are saying Russia's getting ready to release everything they have as. We have CARE, C-A-I-R, you know, that's the people that want to come in here, of the Muslims and so forth, Islamic, and change this country, get away with all the Christianity. It's interesting, they arrested a man some time ago, the FBI arrested a man for praying outside uh, a clinic an abortion clinic, praying for those people. You know what the bad part is? In that same town, Muslims can throw a blanket on the ground and bow down and pray, and they don't do anything about that to their false god that they pray to. Well, you see, God sees every bit of that, and He's giving us a chance to repent, but if we don't repent, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren may be facing that, and they'll be facing the destruction, and they'll be the one that die those cruel deaths because of that. Now, it's time to wake up. As this has been said many times, the truth about history is that people don't learn from history. And I think we're seeing that. Well, going back to our text, and Moses, verse 15, and Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables of the testimony were in his hands. Now, first we see that God had told him up there on the mount. He told him what was going on. He let him know, boy, what the people are doing down there. They have turned. God said, I'm going to destroy them. And I, Moses, I'm going to destroy them, and I'm going to take you and make another nation out of you. Boy, that'd be great, wouldn't it, to be the nation of Moses. But you know what? There's something about Moses. Moses says, Lord, the Egyptians, the world will say that you couldn't deliver us. Therefore, you destroyed us in the wilderness. You see, Moses 
is a righteous man. Righteous men intercede for their people. Someone who truly loves God will truly love people. And those people may not be very lovable. But there needs to be men and women of God that will have compassion for those souls. Realize, if they live that way, probably this will be the most offensive thing that I say to them. They're ignorant. They're ignorant of righteousness. They're ignorant of true holiness. They, they're ignorant of what is the way of God. They're trying to assign to God new standards that fit their worldly desires. And all that's doing is cussing in the face of God. That's offending God, and it is wrong. Amen. And by the way, my purpose is to make people mad, but I'm not going to apologize for telling you the truth. Okay. Now, we read another thing. The tables were written by the finger of God. And we're told it was written on one side and the other. It was written on each side of the stone, the tables that God had written on with His finger, the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. And, and we know those commandments today. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know of any of those Egyptians that died. I don't know of any, most of those uh, Israelis didn't, that didn't die at that time. Don't know their names. But we still know the name of Moses. And we know the name of Joshua who walked down that mountain with him. Verse 16 says, And the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God graven upon the tables. Now, I don't know. We haven't been told what's happened to those tables. I know that most broke those first ones, and they went back up the mountain, did it again. Those tables were all right. Those tables were all right when you went back up the mountain. And got it. They, they kept it in the ark of the testimony, but where those tables are today, I don't know. But I do know His Word is forever settled in heaven. And so it is preserved. It's preserved in our Bibles today. We don't have to have the stones, we just have to have the words. You see, that's what is important. And so, we look in verse 17, and we see Moses returning from the mountain after God showed him what was happening. And we read in verse 17, And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they were shouting, he said unto Moses, There's a noise of war in the camp. Why would he say there's a noise of war? Why, why would they say that? It was the beating of the drums. See, the beating of the drums was going on, and and. Joshua thinks, oh my goodness, there's a war. And they were used for, for, for war. You know, early in the 1700s and 1800s of America and our colonies, 
that drums were not allowed for music in, in the schools or, or public places. They were not allowed. They were only used, were only allowed for military uses. They would beat those drums as they were going into the war. You know, we watched those good historical things of cowboys and Indians on TV growing up. But the oddest thing is, though, you'd hear the people would, and it's pretty, actually, you know, it's pretty well on it when they heard the war drums of the Indians, they were afraid. Well, that's the way, that, I mean, that wasn't something new. That's the way it went in the armies. Over the years, they'd hear those drums. They knew they were coming. The drums were beating, and everybody had to be aware. Now the war is going to begin. The fighting is going to start. And so, in America, they were afraid of that, those drums bringing in the wrong kind of music. As a matter of fact, in the Car uh, Caribbean islands, there, were, there was a lot of voodoo, and the drums were used in voodoo. And a lot of them came up, they were brought up, many of them, to New Orleans, Louisiana, in those areas. And as a result of that, they, they were banned. They weren't supposed to use those. They could go to jail for using that because it would stir up, just like it did with Israel, there in the wilderness, the dancing, the immorality, the drinking, taking off the clothes. That all happened in Israel, and that's what was happening here. That's why it was banned. They saw what it would do. Now, that's American history, and of course, they may not learn that today. Most of these schools don't teach it anymore. But uh, again, that's the way it happened. And so, verse 18 says, Moses talking back to Joshua, and he says, and he said, it is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the voice of them that sing do I hear. See, God had shown Moses what was going on, and it was enough that God was ready to destroy the nation. See, what they're doing is they are partying, partying, and so they're having a great big party. Oh, this is great, we're doing it in the name of the Lord, so that makes it right. Boy, are they in for a surprise. Verse 19 says, uh, we see Moses in his righteous indignation there, okay? You're going to see Moses in righteous indignation toward this people, toward their Sin is what it is. He's righteously indignant towards their sin. It says, and it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger waxed hot. And he cast the stones out of his hands, and he broke them beneath the mount. I honestly believe that if the Lord permitted Moses to come back and see the churches of today, the same thing would happen. And with the same anger, if not greater. He came down, 
See, by the way, the reason I say that, we had the completed Word of God. They didn't at that time. He was just coming down with the Ten Commandments, and that wasn't the complete law that they would have. So we need to believe that Moses stood regardless that he was the minority. Him and Joshua are the minority. I mean, you've got over a million people out there. They're the minority, but they know that with God, they are the majority. Amen. You know, they know they're the majority. And so, he saw the music. He heard the music. He saw the loss of standards. He saw the sensual dancing. He saw the drinking. He saw the immodest clothing. And so, I believe in his indignation and seeing that golden image. That golden image. You know what that golden image was? It was considered to be something where God delivered us through this image. You know what that's saying? This image is Messiah. It's how God's delivering us. It's through this Messiah. You know what? When my Jesus was on this earth, He raised the dead, He healed the sick, He healed lepers, He healed the blind, He stopped the storms, He calmed the waters. I don't see anywhere recorded in history where a golden calf did that. Okay? But people were more pleased with the golden calf than they were with the preaching of Jesus. And that same ignorance still exists today. You see? And, and so, they're upset. They're upset with Moses, not with, with God. But they are actually upset with God, too. They just don't know it yet. Jesus died for our sin for a purpose that we might have life and have it more abundantly. He became the propitiation. That word propitiation means the entire payment. First John chapter three, or chapter two, verse two, it talks about uh, the letter said that. Uh, the Holy Spirit gave John to write down each word. And you see that sometimes the people, the Christian says, for us. A lot of those saved Jews were saying, hey, we got saved, it's just for us. Now look, you know, I mean, I got a booklet on that table over there that's on Israel, why we honor Israel as Christians. It's all biblical. But what I'm saying to you is this. Being an, a Jew doesn't make you righteous. It's being saved. It's being right with God that makes you righteous, you see. But the Bible says that God will bless those that bless Israel, and He'll curse those that curse Israel. But John is saying here that He, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. And the Jews would say, that God saved, would say, Amen! But then the Holy Spirit gave them the rest of the words. And not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Now I want you to think of this. 
Rahab a harlot. The entire city of Jericho, not just a few men, the entire city of Jericho knew what she was. When the spies came by from Israel and she put them up in that house, everybody automatically said, go to Rahab's place. That's where those two men stopped. But they didn't find the men there. Israel comes in, the walls of Jericho falls, and that lady that saved those two men of God is saved. A, a harlot. But not only is she saved, you read through the genealogy that leads up to Jesus Christ, she is in that genealogy. Through the tribe of Judah, all the way down till it gets to Joseph and Mary, she's a part of that. Those, those children were born from her and a, her husband who was of the tribe of Judah. God changed her life. He did a great work in her. Probably the most wicked ruler this world has ever known because he could just look at you and say, Put that one to death. You can have somebody who killed three people and very terrible things. You can say, no, I decided I wanted to live. He had that power. He had that authority. And he had that meanness. God saved him too. His life changed. Apostle Paul, stone that man. Put him to death. They stoned Stephen, one of the first martyrs. Stephen, this man that was preaching the Word of God, they stoned him because he stood for Jesus Christ. And what happened? Because there's Stephen praying on his knees while the stones are pelting him, asking God to forgive them, to forgive them. And praying for them. Apostle Paul walks from there because he's not only had him put to death, he'll have other Christians drug off to prison, tear their houses up. God save him and the great Apostle Paul, we call him sometimes, but the Apostle Paul had a great Jesus in him and a great Holy Spirit in him. And that's where his power, and that's the Lord changed his life. Now we read books that the Holy Spirit gave him to write. My friend, I'm just saying it doesn't matter how low that you have gone. Jesus Christ can cleanse you, He can save you, and He can use you. But you've got to come to Him and give Him your whole heart and life to Him. Now, we, we had a wedding in, I forget who got married, but uh, we, we, had a, we had a wedding in here yesterday. Okay. okay. Now, Jet and Lexi, I don't know how long they've been dating. Seems like forever. But um, they got married. Yesterday. Until then, they dated. They liked each other. That either one of them could have left at any time. But yesterday, when they gave themselves each to the other and said, I do, that was a life commitment. It's one thing to want to be cleansed of the sin. 
but it's another thing in a life commitment. But Jesus said, Him that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. He said, Whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God has raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see, getting saved says, I believe that Jesus was God come in the flesh. The Lord, God, Jesus, flesh, a human body, and He died on the cross for my sins, and He was buried, and He rose from the dead. Bodily rose from the dead. Ascended up into heaven. When He ascended up into heaven, guess what? He took something from this earth with Him. You know what He took? His blood. He took His blood. There's a great mercy seat in heaven. And He placed that blood on the mercy seat. And because that blood is there, whoever comes to Him for that salvation, you see, He's already said, I do to you. But it's not complete until you say, I do to Him and give your life to Him. Now, my friend, I want you to see that God can save you if you're not saved. No matter how low you've gone, the power of the blood of Jesus Christ is greater than all the power of all sin combined. But I also want you to know one other thing. That's true for people that are out there in the world, people in your family. You know, we have an invitation here each week. What a time to come and pray and ask God to use you to influence those lives to Christ. Pray for their salvation. Pray for their rededication if they've just gotten away from the Lord. Ask God to use you. He can. He wants to. Come to Him. Give it all to Him as a Christian. And just an FYI, you know, for your information. <clears throat> in the Bible, in Samuel, there's a lady named Hannah. She's praying for a child, for a son. Lord, give me a child. This other lady, she's making fun of me. She's got all these children by my husband. She's making fun of me now. So she goes to him, and you know what? Eli thinks she's drunk. See, she's just moving her lips, praying. You see, it, we pray out loud. But when I get up in the morning, somewhere around 4 or 5 o'clock, nobody's going to be hearing me pray. But I'm going to be praying. Because God is hearing my heart. I'm saying to you, people don't have to stand up here and hear what you prayed. But you come to that right heart and says, I'm praying for my lost son. I'm praying for my lost daughter. I'm praying for that wayward, whoever it is. And don't give up. Don't give up until they change or they're dead, one of the two. But don't give up. Don't give up. Let's bow our heads, please.